This is the Cherry Leaf Podcast. Let me hit the start record. That would have been a shame if we'd have gone all the way through that and it not to have worked. It looks like it's recording. Excellent. Do you want to introduce who you are and where you're based? Yeah, that's that's a start. I'm CJ Walker and I'm based in France. I'm in Grenoble in the Alps. I run a company called Firehead and we do recruiting, training and consulting in the digital communication space. Now, from your accent, people might guess that you're not actually French. No, I'm not French. I'm American and Swedish, actually. (laughs) And I know I don't have a Swedish accent either. I have lived in France for 23 years. Wow. I speak French. My kids are in school here in France. And I am not French. I'm a foreigner who is integrated into France. Your company is one that we partner with. You resell some of our courses and we've collaborated together on some recruitment vacancies in different countries as well in the past. So we've probably partnered and worked together for eight, nine years, might be even longer than that. It's been a long time. We talk on the phone a lot too. That's true, yes. We compare notes about, uh, well, a lot of things cultural, I find. It's a good talking point. Buzzword is competition, where sometimes you cooperate with people and sometimes you compete. And the main thing seems to be better to not worry about it and more opportunities than conflicts tend to arise by working with people, I find. Yeah, you taught me the word uh, frenemy a long time ago. Ah. Well, I don't really like the word enemy in the first place because I think competition is better. Yeah, you can have your own business and cooperate in certain places. And I think um, it's worked out pretty well, really, don't you? Mm. Yes, it has. So I thought it would be good to have a chat with you to talk about the technical writing world in France and to see if it's the same or different from how it is in the UK and in the States. Who hires technical authors or technical writers in France? What type of companies and whereabouts in France are they based? Well, let me start with where things are. I learned when I came here that there are about three hotspots. That would be Paris. Of course, it's the capital. And there's a real hub in Sofia Antipolis, which is near Nice in the south. IBM is down there. There's a research park there. There's a lot going on. And then in Toulouse, the aviation from Airbus and all of the cottage industry around that employs a lot of people too. I've since found that there's a a fair amount going on in Strasbourg since there's a new program, a new university program there. So geographically, Strasbourg is on the border between France and Germany. Yeah. Toulouse is West Coast, isn't it, if I remember correctly? It's in the southwest. But, you know, people who are as far west as, say, uh, Bordeaux, still the pole seems to be Toulouse, where a lot of the work's coming from. I'm in Grenoble, and we're between the south and Paris. Mm-hmm. So, say, Sophia Antipolis. And there's more research going on in Grenoble. In fact, they are calling Grenoble the Silicon Valley of France now. It's more uh, microelectronics, and there are a lot of scientists here. There's a lot of research. 
nuclear research, microchips, that kind of thing, and startups. So we're picking up too. I'd say we're, that we're ahead of Lyon. So it's a mix of hardware, aerospace, and software, or isn't there much software development going on? I'd say there's more software development than um, hardware here in France. One of the things that distinguishes the French market from, say, the German market is they do a lot of manufacturing over there. That's why a lot of the big stuff about the new standards and things are coming out of Germany. And I would describe France more as software. Right. And in terms of the clients that you have, are they representative of the market in France or are you niching, specialising in certain geographical regions or certain industry sectors? No, I'd say our market is pretty representative. Paris is the capital, so Mm. there's always going to be a lot of stuff going on in and out of there. We've done more scientific writing than just technical writing since we're in Grenoble. So are people writing content in French and then translating it into English or writing the source in English? That's a good question. The answer is it depends. Mm. The big international companies, the working language is almost always English. And that can be an office full of French people that um, have an official language of English, even though they're speaking French to each other when they do any outside communication or when they publish, of course, it's in English. It's less expensive for companies to write in English and then have it translated into other languages. Because say, for example, they wrote in French first and they're going on the international market, what's going to happen is they would probably have to translate it into English to be able to go into the other languages. And other people that are writing the content for end users, are they native English speakers or are they French people that have learnt English and then writing in English? It depends, again, (laughs) it depends on the pay. I mean, ideally, you want an English speaker, I mean, a native English speaker, and a lot of companies will be adamant about that. Sometimes for writing, this is kind of a scary thing to say, but if you've got a, a truly fluent person in English whose native language is French, If they're writing, they can probably do as good a job as a native speaker. There are a lot of other elements that you have to consider. Their propensity for technical things, their ability to write general. But I find that most French people don't have the level to write English documentation, no. So most of your candidates are native English speakers or French people, again, a mix? Most of them for the big companies are native English speakers. But there is a thriving market in France for French documentation as well. Hmm. And that rules out the um, non-French speakers, of course. Having said all of that, I prefer somebody, even if they're required to have native or fluent English, to have French as well. Because you still have to go into a company and talk to your colleagues. And if you've got developers and anybody else you're working with in the process of getting the um, the docs out who are at home and speaking their own language and don't necessarily speak English or have school English that they're not really comfortable with, they're not going to be able to communicate with them. And you still need to go down the shops and buy, don't you? So, yeah, yeah. And you're going to end up in a ghetto where you only go to shops where people are trying to speak English to you. And first of all, it's catch as catch can and the experience might not be very rich. And it's just better to be able to to move in the environment that you're in. 
professionally, you'll be blocked. The quality can't be as good if you can't communicate with the people on the ground. Let's talk about working with French companies or working for French companies. Does mm-hmm. that differ compared to American companies in terms of culture and how you get on? Is it all about qualifications or who you know or ability? Or how do you find working with French companies? Well, I can tell you a lot of things from my personal experience working in French companies. And it's been a while ago. So I assume that some things have moved on. I talked to a French colleague about the podcast I was going to do with you to compare notes. And I was surprised how many things had not moved on. (laughs) When I first arrived here, I came from a job at Microsoft in Seattle to Alcatel, which is a big French telecoms company. I think for size and for effect on the economy and things, they're probably pretty equal. And, uh, some of the things I noticed were egregious in the beginning. The first is the French respect for hierarchy. I just wasn't prepared for My first week at work, I was working as an editor. And the boss told me how glad they were that I was there because they needed an editor for all of these writers for a long time and gave me a pile of documents to, to edit. And so I went about doing what I needed to do. And she'd given me until the end of the week. And I went to her and returned everything on the Wednesday, quite proud of myself because I got all the work done. And I infuriated her. (laughs) (laughs) And it wasn't until my uh, North American colleagues told me later that you shouldn't do that because I was messing up her role as a planner and making her look bad. (laughs) (laughs) And I asked what I was supposed to do. And the answer is you're supposed to sit at your desk and uh, just be there. Right. Of course, I had uh, some things that I thought about that, but you learn to adapt and you stretch your workout or you um, speed up based on the tempo that you're given. I learned a lesson that lasts the rest of my work life with that one. (laughs) And in terms of qualifications, is that important? Yes. That's another thing that I learned um, right away. If you have a piece of paper that qualifies you in a certain field, uh, I know people who haven't worked for 10, 15 years in their field but they can get jobs in it even if they're out of date because they've got that piece of paper. And as a recruiter, that still makes my mind want to explode. But um, employers are very soothed by big names Mm. and qualifications. A French worker would rather be a small cog in a very big wheel Mm. with some name recognition than uh, sometimes it can be difficult to pull people into startups where they would – really get a wider experience starting out especially. So there are pros and cons for having easy access to professions and jobs and that sometimes the flexibility works and sometimes having that assurity of qualifications is very important. If somebody wanted to come to France to work as a technical writer, how does living and working in France differ say from living and working in America? I could answer that on several levels. I think that a a lot of people listening to this podcast will be wondering um, about the quality of life issues and um, that usually works around pay. The salaries are lower, but the standard of living in France is very high. It's Mm. consistently rated higher than the UK and the US. And the reason is because... If you live in a country where the government takes a a lot of responsibility for, say, education and medicine and even down to childcare, 
that's going to come from somewhere. But that means that in France, those things aren't out-of-pocket expenses either. At the end of the day, I think that you've got more left in your pocket uh, after um, you take account of all of the expenditures that you have. Would you expect to live in, well, in England, we talk about number of bedrooms in a house as to get an indication of size. But I know in Europe, it tends to be how many square meters yeah. you get. And I don't know what it is in the States, whether it's square feet that you judge something by or number of rooms. It's number of rooms. I'd never heard about this square feet thing until I moved here. That, of course, depends on where you live. I'm saying a lot of it depends, aren't I? In Paris, it's a big city and it's gotten uh, fantastically expensive since I lived there. It used to be a lot cheaper than London and New York. And people tend to live in a, well, they have to live in apartments in Paris. And they're pretty small as well, aren't they, in Paris? I think they're about 30 square meters, if about that. I would say maybe around 50. But if you've okay. got a bigger family, um, 90 or 100 isn't uncommon. That's meters. Whereas if you're living in the South, you've got room for a house, but you have to have a car to go everywhere. In Paris, um, you don't have to pay for um, transport the same way. My technical author colleagues here in Grenoble either live in town in an apartment or in the country in a house in the mountains and have a reasonable accommodation for everybody. I tend to send their kids to specialized schools. I don't mean special schools, but uh, you know, international schools or yeah. things that um, their neighbors don't always do. And in terms of status of technical writers, technical authors in France, are they seen as a, the same level or same status as programmers or higher or lower? Is there any noticeable difference in status? Technical writers have had quite a struggle professionally to get recognized as a legitimate classified profession. Mm -hmm. And when I moved here, coming from the States, I didn't understand why that mattered. They have recognition now. And I would say that technical authors started about the same as engineers. Mm -hmm. In fact, there are several um, university programs in France that consider it engineering of multilingual documentation. Hmm. But the French definition of engineer is a bit broader than the way we use it in English. If you think about it, we're engineering documents. Well, we've mentioned what the workplace is like to an extent. Is there anything else that's sort of different in the, the way that the workplace is in France, say, compared to the States? France is a Latin country, and they still do business a Latin way. <laughs> They love to dress up, and uh, it's kind of nice. When you go to the office, you still see a lot more suits and ties. I, they say that's changing with the new generation, but uh, it's much more than I would be used to as an American. Was, and is it Monsieur this and Madame that, or do they use first names, or do, and do they use to and vu? Oh, that's that a whole story. Yeah. Oh, no, it's very formal. They love to dress up, and they love appearances, and you absolutely always say vous. When you right. come into any situation, that business. Between colleagues, they will often use the informal too. But as a foreigner, you need to be invited. Right. It's a way of saying, you know, you're in the club and we work together. But I, it would be an absolute disrespect for you to come in and tutoie anyone. And you always start with Madame and Monsieur. The French use first names a lot less. And once again, that's by invitation. The trick in France is to wait until you're invited 
and then they're very chatty. You know, they love informal conversation. During my time in Austria and Germany, it felt a little more formal even after you use the informal with them. Yeah, but you're not strong, in the club until you're invited. <laughs> there's a very strong demarcation between work and home in Germany, from what I gather. I've never worked in Germany, so I'm getting this second hand. In terms of work-life balance and the sort of cultural aspects of living and working in France, how does that work? There's a huge demarcation, and I really um, actually like that. When you go to social events, people don't talk about their work. They talk about their families or um, what they're doing to have fun. Very often, though, somebody will point out so-and-so is a director at this company and so-and-so is a doctor, but the doctor or the director won't talk about work with you if you're not at work. Are people very clubby? Are they members of lots of different social or sporting clubs? Or is it more friends and family? Is there a difference that way? It's hard for me to say to compare. I think being a Latin country, once again, it's a very family-focused culture. And one thing I noticed was when you go socializing with your friends, you know, for a dinner party or something, the expectation is that you bring your kids with you, even young kids. They'll put them to sleep in another room all together if the dinner party goes on. And I wasn't used to that in the States where people are expected to get a babysitter for their kids and it's just the adults. Oh, okay. So that was kind of nice. Yes, the French, are, I, they love their activities after work. It's important to have a hobby. They spend a lot of time on that. I didn't have kids in America, so I can't compare everything about family life. The French just, are very outdoors. So you just bump into people and say, okay, let's go for a drink somewhere. Is that how it works? Oh, yeah. And there are regulars and there are people who show up when they want to see somebody and, you know... Do you want to talk about the bees? Bees. Oh, the the kissing. Oh, right. <laughs> a lot of foreigners think it's really funny when they come here and everybody kisses each other on the cheeks. But so French kisses—is it one left and one right, or is it three like the Dutch? Well, not called French kisses, are they? That's something different. The bees. Tell me about that. I wasn't used to kissing all of my um, colleagues when I came to work before I came here. It was a bit shocking, but their response was, well, in the States, you hug people, and that's far mm -hmm. too intimate for us. I realized that it's a cultural difference, and people have different degrees of how they see intimacy and things. But um, what surprised me most about the bees or bisou, little kisses, is they kiss people that they know when they see them to say mm -hmm. hello and goodbye. But I wouldn't necessarily hug all of those people. So it's not equivalent. They're very exuberant about that. And it depends which part of the country you're in. In some places, it's two just across the border where my son goes to school in a different department. It's three. And I've been told that in Corsica, there are places where it's five. So would you kiss your boss? Um, that's a good question because there's a huge demarcation in the hierarchy. But if my boss saw me on a Monday morning, he would probably give me the bees. Or she. Yeah. Um, it's women and women, women and men, and some men give each other the bees and some men shake hands. Right. You know, you don't know which cheek to start with and you don't know how many you're supposed to give. And it's, I, but the French are kind of doing this analysis too um, when everything is 
in a formal setting like at work. You just sort of know informally. We've talked about our own individual strategies and plans for where we take our prospective companies. In terms of where your thoughts on, I guess, trends for technical communication or trends in which, in a direction that you want to take Firehead. So if you want to share anything on that. At Firehead, we are very linguistics based. It comes from my background in linguistics. And I feel like the future is going to be with the robots and AI and for technical communicators, that's going to involve a lot of conversational design. Our technical writing is going to be writing for the robots, and they're going to be machine-human interfaces rather than just a list of procedures. A conversation is a very different thing to, to define. Can you expand on that, what you mean by writing for the robots? You're going to be having a conversation so that a human will be asking a robot a question to get user assistance, say, and the robot can be programmed to answer. But then when it comes back to the human, there's a choice and the robot has to be able to understand different paths. So there are going to be branches and at one level it breaks into trees. That's a rules-based conversation. You've also got AI-based conversations now. I'm working with a partner in South Africa who's designed a chatbot that's completely AI-based. Just to train the chatbot is a monumental process. The skill is in designing it. We've been working a lot with Germany's Industry 4.0, which was created for robot or, you know, the labor market, how it's going to be affected by automation and the robots in industry. There's a subset of that Industry 4.0 that we're calling Information Mm 4.0. That's where I think technical writing is going to come in. Are you offering services in this field now or is this something that's planned for the future? I've hired a fair few conversational designers. Mostly if you ask them, they would say that they are um, technical communicators who are now writing chatbot scripts. I don't like the phrase chatbot script because it doesn't give it enough credit for um, how much work really goes into it. It's conversational design. This is on the contract and recruitment side, but you're also planning to offer services and consultancy and training as well, aren't you? I think in now or in the future? We are developing a course in human machine interfaces that we're going to use chatbots once again as the basis for the conversation or the training. And that will be the takeaway that the students will have at the end, both rules-based and AI chatbots. The problem is that the AI stuff is so complicated, I'm trying to simplify it enough that people could come away with a grasp of it. It might need to be not just another course, but probably a series. You've also been involved, if I remember correctly, in some of the academic technical writing. What have you been doing with that? Okay, well, I know that there is a dearth of educational possibilities for um, tech comms in Britain right now, which is regrettable, especially considering that most technical documentation is written in English. In France, we're very fortunate to have quite a few universities who are offering master's level programs in technical communication. I've worked with the University of Strasbourg 
They have two master's programs. One is in technical communication and localization. And the other one is in multimedia for web-based design. It's not exactly technical communication, but a lot of people who've been in technical communication go into that. Or quite a few of the students who come out of it end up in technical communication, so I include it. The University of Paris has a program at Diderot. They have a master's program and also, I don't know what the equivalent is. I would say it's probably a bachelor's, mm. but it's seen differently in France in um, just strictly technical communication. The University of Clermont-Ferrand has a program. It's a master's of engineering in multilingual technical communication. And are these done in English or are they done in French, the master's ones? Both. The University of Paris is, they teach in French, but a lot of the work is produced in English. The University of Strasbourg is a distance program and it's all English. Clermont-Ferrand is French. They work with other languages, but it's strictly a French program. And then there's one other at Rennes. They have another bachelor's equivalent and a master's in technical communication. I think a lot of the data development or research was done out of Rennes, wasn't it? Yes, they're very strong in that. They're probably the most traditional program. I might be wrong, but I think they've been around the longest. Maybe Clermont Ferrand was. Um, once again, this is very uh, French in the sense that um, things have to go through an officially recognized process to get a qualification, to get into the market, to start your career as a technical communicator. But the opportunities are there, and there's a lot of research going on in these universities. So the standard is quite high. Firehead itself has been approved by the French government for training, if I remember correctly. Yeah. In 2016, we got a training number. What that means is we are officially recognized by the French government as a trainer. That matters because France has a I think a really cool system. Every company is required to put 1% of their profits away for training their employees. So there's budget there. As an officially recognized training supplier, we're on a list where it's a database that people can go to. And um, as we're officially recognized, they don't pay VAT on it and they get a certain discount and the employers pay half and the government pays half, I believe. Uh, So there's real incentive there. And what type of training have people contacted you about? We've done multicultural training, which I have a little bit of experience in. Frame maker. I've given informal instructions in how to look at a university for um, looking for your career in technical communications that we might formalize. Because you resell our courses, I wonder if that gives them a means by which they can access our induction technical writing course. If they're English speaking, yes. Yes, because ours is in English, not French. Did you want to talk about strikes? Everybody always asks me about strikes. Do I want to ask you about strikes? Um, Tell me about (laughs) strikes. Tell me about the French and strikes. The French think that strikes are a caricature of France. I mean, they'll tell you that an administration, they'll gladly complain um, in any queue in, um, at any bus stop. <laughs> no, for, uh, strikes are a part of life. But I like strikes in France. 
First of all, they're uh, very humane. They're very well organized. They don't like cut off the whole train service. They cut off a bunch of the times and they announce ahead of time when you can still take the train. So you can still get somewhere, you're just inconvenienced. And uh, basically, you're standing around with other people who are inconvenienced. And there's just a lot of solidarity. (laughs) When I first moved to France, there was a film out. The English equivalent would be a strike party. Oh, right. (laughs) And I learned very quickly that uh, it's just an excuse for people to um, have downtime and have coffee or a glass of wine together and enjoy themselves. (laughs) How many days holiday do you get in France? Uh, I think the official um, government mandate is five weeks, but there are so many bank holidays. And there's another thing that makes a big difference. It was in the late 90s, the government uh, changed the work week to 35 hours which I think has been quite successful for productivity and a lot of other things that people argue about. They were sending patrols in to make sure that people weren't working more than 35 hours a week. It actually had to be enforced at some of the professional levels, which I thought was crazy. What a lot of companies have done is allowed their workers to work 39 hours a week, Mm -hmm. but those extra hours go into a pot that they need to take before the end of the year. They take it as holiday. They added on as extra whole days. Yeah. And it's still paid. So the French have a lot of free time. We don't have as many as in France, but we still have a lot more than in the States. Don't we have a lot Everybody more. has more free time than in the States. I think that's it, isn't it? I think we've okay. got to a formal. I don't want to sound like um, an expert on the French or talking about them as a big they. I'm trying to look at some of the things I've observed because I'm very happy here. And I think one of the key points in being happy is integrating. Most of my time and my life are spent in French and doing things the French way. You've probably spent more time in France than you have in the States now. I've been here 23 years. I've probably spent more than 23 years in the States. I'd have to calculate, but I've lived in nine countries, so I wasn't in the States all the time when I wasn't here. And I don't see the French as a great them anymore. It's just life. I think you have to do that when you go somewhere instead of talking about a them. I've heard people argue that English is the international language and they should just speak English to them here. And um, this is France. They're in this country. It's a dangerous conversation to have when you're talking about the French or the Swedes, about how they are. We're all people. And we do some things differently, but we're all people in the end too, aren't we? Yep. And if you understand people's languages, you get a better understanding of them as people. So it's, it's good to learn foreign languages. I agree. And I think in France, it's a little bit like the English with English in the sense that the French just assume that God speaks French. <laughs> and so it's better to try in bad French because then you're sort of acknowledging their sense of, how can I say this? You are um, you like French culture, you're interested and you're trying. And they'll correct you. Hmm. And I, I think the English won't necessarily correct you when you make a mistake. But they're protecting their language that they're proud of in France. And so anybody can try, even if you're bad. You're a foreigner and you're bad at it, but you're trying. And that counts for a lot. 
Well, they do treasure the language, the French, and Académie Française is the head of that are called the immortals, the ones that decide which new words get entered into the, the French lexicon. Yeah, and my dream job would to be one of those immortals. You have to set the standard higher, you'll fall. <laughs> As always, it's uh, great having a conversation with you. It's been a bit more formal this time on the podcast rather than just uh, normal conversations. It is nice. It's always nice to talk to you, Alice. If people want to contact you, if they want to know about the world of technical communication or, or chatbots, uh, what's the best way of contacting you? Visit our website at firehead.net and get in touch with me on cj at firehead.net. Lovely. Thank you, CJ. Thank you, Alice. Always a pleasure.